Let's turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter six. I'll be reading from verses nine through eleven. First Corinthians six nine through eleven. This is the word of God. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of our God. That's a, that's a bit of a frightening text on the front part, isn't it? Um, we have been in a series called Edify, which means to build up. This is part nine on a series of what it means to build up the church. This is the ninth and final series, uh, sermon in this series. And before I get into this, what I'd like to just do is we've been going through this for throughout the summer, and I just want to give you a quick rundown of all that we've kind of covered in this series. This is it's the ninth message. So we're like, well, what did we, where did this start? And um, let me just give you a quick rundown of this, and then I'd like to pray before I, I start this final message, all right? Part one was called the organic living body. Much of the series is about what does it mean to be the church and thus build up the church. Right? And the church is fundamentally, it's a living, breathing body. It's not so much an institution, but it's a body. Part two, I called spiritual gifting to build up the body. And that was a whole message about the Holy Spirit and gifts. So some of you guys have questions about that. If you care about that issue, you might want to go back to that on, on our website, part two, um, with spiritual gifting to build the body. Part three was the more excellent way. Uh, I was really chagrined to find out that uh, we, didn't, we had some technical failures that day, and that message didn't get up, but that was a message about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The way of love is far more important than the way of gifts. And that's something that we don't really believe, actually. I'm going to say a little something more about that today in in my message. Part four, encouragement and endurance. Encouragement and endurance. Many of you think that just a little bit of encouragement is is not that important, but actually it's tremendously important. And to have encouragement and then to endure, to endure encouragement and to continuously encourage is tremendously important in building up the church because the church is a living body. Part five, no small persons or gifts. There are no small persons or gifts in the church. I think I was just, that's all I'll say, but there's a lot of you who think, I'm not much. What I have isn't much. Well, you're wrong. If it's from the Lord, from the Lord, for the Lord, in you, you're wrong to think it's too small, right? Numbers part six, every member ministry, a lot of people in the church Think ministry is something that the pastor does and everybody else receives it. That's wrong. Ministry is something that everybody does and the pastor just kind of helps you. (laughs) Really. Everybody who believes in Jesus, the whole body ministers. 
and raises up the name of Jesus. Part seven, building up the missional church. The church doesn't exist primarily so that we can consume religion, but that we have a mission to proclaim a great name, a great gospel, the great kingdom of Jesus. So we, have, we all will be fulfilled only when we live for something much bigger than ourselves. And let me tell you something. What's a lot, it's a, you have to live for something more than a company, more than a name, more for your more than a success. You need to live for God, his name, his gospel, his kingdom, and it's worthy of your life. Part eight. And so these last two messages, and especially I want to recapitulate and really reemphasize the things that are really important within our church. Part eight was what I call the Jesus-centered family, that we're ultimately a family built not just on blood, at least not on the blood of biology or of ethnicity, and we're not built upon um, common interests, but we're built upon Jesus, his blood, his redemptive work, what he has done for us, which we could not do for ourselves. And lastly, I want to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart, and which I hope more and more is becoming dear to your heart, something that we in our church call the Sinner's Dinner Party. Okay? Before I get to that, um, let me pray. Let's pray. The Sinner's Dinner Party. That's a strange way of putting, of describing the church. And when we want to talk to this, we complete this series called Edify. Lord, what does it mean to build up the church? Lord, means to have a dinner party thrown by sinners, for sinners, where we invite the most important guests of all, you, Lord Jesus. It is our desire, Lord. There's a lot of times in the scriptures show us that when you were here on this earth and walked amidst us, that you came to dinner parties and you had very odd and strange guests. And it was very surprising to people who are straight-laced and religious and so-called good that you, you were glad to eat with the hurting and the weak, lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and those who were shunned and those who were ashamed and those who were excluded. Lord, those are the people you said, I'll eat with you. And today, Lord, I know that's something that we've been talking about and we've heard, but yet again, not just because these foolish babbling lips say it, but because you say it by your spirit, by the power of your word, that you would convict us that the church is a dinner party thrown by sinners for sinners so that they can meet Jesus. We pray today and every time we gather in your name that we would be the church people would meet and taste of the greatness of Jesus in and through us. We pray in your name. Amen. In three parts, the hospital for the sick, that's part one. The hospital for the sick. Part two, transformation and authentic holiness. That's the fundamental goal of the church. That's what we want to see happen as we build up the church, as we edify, transformation unto authentic holiness. And part three, there's a welcome, the welcome of holiness. Part one, the hospital for the sick. Uh, I read a text, or at least I didn't read it. It was our, our brother Jin who read it. 
And it goes, and it's, uh, as I was listening to him read this, I was just thinking, gosh, how explosively controversial. Um, just, let me just read it out uh, one more time. Uh, and I want to read this, and then I'm going to tell you a quick little sh- uh, story about it. And those of you, I, I, I told the story, um, I think, years ago, but it's a story, and there are certain stories that I, I may have said that I want to reweave them into this message, because I think they're so important. Uh, for you to see what this is, says in the scriptures, and I hope as, the sco- as I weave these stories together that it'll help you see, see what the word is saying. Um, here it is, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. These are really unpopular words, is it? Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> um, here's a story. Uh, I, I can't even quite remember where I, I heard this story. I think I was listening to some kind of conference message. And it p- particularly perked up my ears because it was a story of, of, a, of, a, of something that happened in a church nearby. And there was a young man, this, I mean, this is years ago, it must have been 40 or 50 years ago or so, who, um, who was invited to go to a Billy Graham crusade. Now, so for those of you guys who are really young, I, I know, <laughs> you're like, who the heck is Billy Graham? Can you imagine, guys? Guys, if you were like my age or maybe a little bit younger, you're thinking, there are, there, are, there are people in this room who don't know who Billy Graham is, okay? But Billy Graham was, for a time, one of the most famous preacher in the world, and he would literally fill stadiums and preach the gospel and, and then call forth people to come and receive Jesus. And they, would, and they would. I mean, probably literally, I don't know, maybe millions of people um, met the Lord through Billy Graham. And this young man went to a Billy Graham crusade. Apparently it was near here because it, he was in the Bay Area. He went to a Billy Graham crusade, heard the gospel presented, said, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus. Went up forward in the stadium, received Christ, and then afterwards, he said, you know what? Gosh, I just asked Jesus to be my Lord. I should go to church. He had not been going to church. He, I think, had grown up in the church when he was very young, but he had fallen away. And um, he, he really had no clue what kind of a church he should go to. And, so, and he had been living a pretty decadent life. And so he was nervous. He didn't think church was a, necessarily going to be a place where people would welcome him and where he would feel comfortable. And so he went into Yellow Pages, found the name of a church local, and he went to that church. And the church um, is actually fairly well known around here now, but back then it was just starting. And that church is Peninsula Bible Church. And that's, uh, you know, that's up the road, um, up in there in the Palo Alto, Menlo Park area. And um, I actually went to that church when I was in college. I mean, I went there for a couple of years, and I was so. When I heard the story, I was thinking, like, "Hey, I went to that church." And so, but apparently, the, this church—it wasn't too big um, at this time. They had about a couple hundred people there. It's a fairly large church now, but it wasn't back then. And he went to this church, and the pastor, um, the text for that day was this text, and it said. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And the pastor was Ray, Ray Stedman, that was his name. And right after he read the text, he stopped. And he said, let me ask you, 
hey, who here in this room see yourself in that list? Do you recognize yourself here in that list of, of all these different kinds of sinful people? And, and then some people started nodding there. He goes, you know what? He goes, I don't really normally do this, but if you are a person here, and so this guy, you know, he, he's brand new to church. He's sitting here in this church. He just heard this verse. He recognized himself in that, that verse, and he was like saying, oh my goodness. He started squirming, going, maybe I shouldn't be here. And then the pastor said, um, do you recognize yourself in that list? And the guy was thinking, um, yeah, I do. And he says, now, if you see yourself in that list, can you just, just, just ask you to stand up? I just ask you to stand up. And something like more than a half of the room stood up. <laughs> uh, more than half of the room stood up when they said that, you know, when that verse was read. And the guy sitting there, I mean, he didn't stand up, but he was really nervous. And he said, and he saw half, more than half of the room stand up. He, he breathed this big sigh of relief, and he said, Phew, I've come to the right place. And why do I tell you that story? Why, do I, why did I pick this text? Because here's the next verse. Such were some of you. You were a swindler. You were sexually immoral. You were a thief. You were greedy. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask some of you to stand. <laughs> I could have done that. I thought about that, but I was thinking, eh, that might be a little, you know, I won't do that to, to our guys because I'm not sure they might be a little too nervous about that. I could have asked some of you to stand. Do you see yourself in that list? And if I asked you to stand, um, I hope a lot of you would stand. You would see yourself in this list. And some of you are thinking, Pastor, it says such were some of you. But actually, it should say such are some of you because I'm still like this. I'm still greedy. (laughs) I'm still sexually immoral. I'm still... I still like to get drunk. I just ripped somebody off last week. So I guess I, I fall under the swindler. That's me. I'm, and I have idolatrous tendencies. I'm pretty idolatrous. So it's not such worse, some of you. I, well, but what if I still am this kind of a person? And let me just say this. What, what does the Bible say? See? There is this sense in the, in the scriptures. You know, you, you look at your life, and I want you to understand who you are. If you believe in Jesus, and yet you still have problems with sexual morality, or idolatry, greed, drinking, just name it, right? And this is not even an inc- a complete list. If this is who you are, if you're looking at yourself and you're like, this is, I'm still like this. And so, does that mean I'm not going to make it? Does that mean I'm not going to make it? But that's not what the scriptures say. You know, if you see yourself and you're like, this is why I still am. That, I'm, I'm not going to make it, am I? And then I'm here in church. Does that mean I don't belong here at church? And if you see yourself this way, let me tell you, you're looking at yourself within yourself. 
you're looking at yourself in the light of yourself. But the Bible says that if you believe in the gospel, if you believe that Jesus and what he has done for you is more important than what you have done for you, you get it? What he has done for you on the cross is more important than what you have done in your own skin. That we are you, who you are, is who you are, not in yourself, but in Christ. That is what we proclaim here every week. That is what the gospel is about. That's what the church is about. The church is a place that invites people to be sinners, to have a new identity, to have all that they are covered and blanketed, not in themselves, but in Christ. And so that's why this passage can say, I mean, come on. If you read, this, if you read the rest of this, of this book of, of, of Corinth, these guys still were sexually immoral. These guys still were drunkards. In fact, they would get together. They would have the Lord's Supper. Then they'd have a meal. They'd get drunk at the meal. And they would exclude the poor people in the church. And Paul would get really mad about it. So it's not like they stopped doing this after they came into the church. They're still doing this. But he says to them, such were some of you. Because that's not who you are anymore. You understand? That's not who you are. You are a son and daughter of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's who you are. Even though you fall down, even though you fail, even though this is some of this old person is still in you, and yet it'll never have the final say if you believe in the redemptive power of Jesus. That's the gospel. And I know I can say this, like, Pastor, I already, oh, well, that's right, isn't it? Some of you are sitting there probably going, wow, I guess that's true, huh? Well, I guess because Susan is saying it, it must be true, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the gospel, guys. And so the church, it really is a place where sinners are invited. Now, look, the sinner's dinner party, I went through a whole series on this earlier in the year, and I preached through this passage called in Luke chapter 7, And it references this. There was an incident. A guy named Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a good religious person. He's well-educated. He has money. He must have a big house. He can throw a big party. He can have good food. And then he wants Jesus to be the guest. He shows up. He has all his friends on over. And then this woman, this sinful woman, as the Bible says it, who apparently has a bad reputation throughout the town, crashes this dinner party, shows up. She does not care who else is at this party. She does not care that everybody else thinks she's disgusting, that nobody wants to hang out with her, nobody accepts her. She walks right into this dinner party, goes right up to Jesus, pulls out this this jar of oil, which is very valuable. She She anoints his feet. She weeps on him, wipes it with her hair. Totally scandalous thing. Completely outrageous and strange. Utterly breaks all social convention. And let me tell you, that's the church. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's a party. It's a gathering. It's a dinner party where Jesus is the guest. But just as in Luke chapter 7... 
most churches, and I think our churches is, is not unlike this, like this, is that what typically happens is Pharisees throw a dinner party. People are saying, well, you know, we're going to have this holy guy show up. And then we're supposed to be holy people and good people, respectable people. But soon as somebody shows up and lets all the non-respectable stuff that we're all ashamed to get out. But the fact is, if we could lift up the covering, don't most of you feel that you fall under that list, that 1 Corinthians 6 list? And so when you come into this gathering that we call the sinner's dinner party, do you come with your, your decency and with all your righteousness and with all the ways that you know how to be a Christian. Oh, it's like, oh, I've got to be a good Christian. And to, so then since I've got to be a good Christian, I've got to show up with my game face. <laughs> I've got to show up with my Christian face. And if people find out that really I, 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 I suck, then, then, then maybe they won't like me. Maybe they won't want to hang out with me. Maybe they will reject me. And, and I can't let people find out about that, especially at church. And I know that I sound like a broken record, guys. But you want your pastor to be a broken record, especially on this. If the church, if this is the way we're going to do church, then it's just like Luke chapter 7. A Pharisee threw a dinner party for other Pharisees, because that's who Pharisees throw dinner parties for, That's who they invite, people like themselves. But a church won't really be the church unless we take off the Pharisee's robe and you begin to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Such were some of you. You were this. You may still think you are this, but you're not. You are not this anymore. You're not a swindler. Look, a person can come into this church who, who looks at gay porn every single night. <laughs> He's like saying, I just dream about dudes. <laughs> and I'm looking at gay porn. I know all those sites. And then when I hear this thing, those who practice homosexuality do not inherit the kingdom of God. But if he says, but Jesus, I need you. That crazy guy up front keeps saying, I can be washed, that I can be received by God, that I am loved by God. That person is not a one who practices homosexuality anymore. In and of himself, yes, but that is not who he is anymore. He is in Christ. (laughs) He is a new creation, and so are you. And that is what's going on in the church. And all I'm asking you now to do is to believe it. Really what I'm asking you to do is believe that word. And as we really begin to believe it, we'll start to treat each other differently. We'll start to look at people differently. We'll start to ask people to come to church differently. We'll start to build this gathering differently. That's part one. It's a hospital for the sick. It's not a country club for the well. 
It's a hospital for the sick. Part two, um, transformation unto authentic holiness. Okay. Let me say this, uh, a little something about this. Authentic. Okay, here's what's... So, Pastor, I can't really be an authentic Christian because well, I'm still pretty, really bad. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm not really authentic. And then I meet, you come in and you meet people in the church. Let me just t- say something to you, okay? Some of you come into the church and you meet somebody inside the church and that person is a jerk, okay? Just so whatever your standard of jerk is, okay? That person could be mean. It could be a girl that you consider catty. It could be a person that you think is snobby. It could be a person, just, just name it, okay? Whatever it is that your standard of jerkiness is, okay? You come into the church and you think, this person is a jerk. This church, this church must be bad. <laughs> and you're just like, I'm out of here, or whatever, okay? And therefore, you begin to think, therefore, this church is not authentic. This must not be real. This God stuff must not be real. Um, let, let me say this to you. If you come into the church and you meet jerks, you, you've come to, into an authentic church. <laughs> All right? If you come into the church and everybody is nice, you've come into a phony church. Did I just surprise you? Let me just. If you come into a church and you meet jerks, <laughs> welcome to the church, the house of God. Because <laughs> if you showed up at Jesus' dinner party, you would have met jerks. <laughs> you would have met people who still like to drink, people who are still liars, people who don't know how to hold their, their marriage. You would have met jerks. But if you showed up at the, the dinner party where everybody was nice, Jesus would have showed up at that place and offended all those people. And then they would have kicked him out. What's authentic Christianity look like? Authentic Christianity has jerks. It, it has to have jerks. It has to. And so if you come into the church and you meet jerks, and then you get mad, and this, you don't want to come back, let me just tell you something. You're just being a Pharisee. <laughs> You're just being a Pharisee, and you just want Phariseeism. I just want Phariseeism. I just want nice people. You're just saying, I just want Phariseeism. If you want the real church, the real family of God, then please show up going, all right, there's going to be some idiots now. <laughs> And, and then you should go, and, and, and I'm one of them. That's how you should think. I'm going to show up to church, and there's going to be some jerks, and I'm one of them. And so you should show up going, all right, let's put on some patience. Let's put on some forgiveness. Let's put on love and joy and peace and patience and kindness long-suffering, steadiness. You know what these are? This is what flows out of the fruit, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes into a people over time, see, it doesn't happen right away. There's like there's this mixture. There's jerkiness, but over time, over time, 
the Spirit starts to come out. And the Spirit looks like this. There's patience and there's forgiveness. And even while people are being jerks, we, we laugh about it and we forgive. And we're looking, oh, Jesus must be around because all my brothers and sisters, some of them are idiots. And we have joy because Jesus must be around in this stupid set of people that we call the church. That's authentic. Let me give you a quote. I, 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 I read this when I was talking about spiritual gifts, but it's so important I want you to hear this again. All right? And um, I got this from Timothy Keller, Pastor Timothy Keller. He's one of my favorite pastors I like to preach, if you don't know. All right? <laughs> all right? And um, as I like to quote, and he actually got this from Jonathan Edwards, that's like his pastor that he likes to quote, all right? So this is what pastors do. They go to other godly men and learn how to read the Bible from other godly men and then, and then tell you. And so, and he, he quoted Jonathan Edwards. This is what he says. When many of you come into the church, you're looking for gifts. You're looking for talent, for people who are nice. You've got all their act together. But actually, what you should be looking for is real, authentic holiness. And it sits right side by side with jerkiness. And not just like, well, that person is really nice. They must be holy. That person's a jerk. Not that kind of side by side. I'm talking in the same person. (laughs) In the same person. Jerkiness and holiness begins to emerge. Jonathan Edwards said this, many bad men have had spiritual gifts. They've had talents. Many will say on the last day, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and done many wonderful works and miracles? But Jesus will say, but I know you. See, it's not the gifts and the talents. And so then, this is what, this is what Keller says. Jesus declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then Keller says this, It is possible to have the gifts of the Spirit, but no special saving work of the Spirit in the heart. This is what we're after in the church. The special saving work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the heart. That's the fundamental product of the church. If you want to listen, what's the product of the church? You go to In-N-Out, their product is hamburgers. You go to Apple, their product is iPhones. What is the church seeking to produce that nobody else can do? It's this, the special saving work of the Spirit in the heart. Gifts of the Spirit are excellent things, but they are not things which are inherent in the nature as true grace and holiness are. Gifts of the Spirit are then, as it were, precious jewels which a man carries about him. See, if some of you are strong at understanding the Bible, if some of you are really smart people, if some of you have gifts of leadership, that's like a jewel you can have in your pocket. Hmm? But true grace in the heart is, as it were, the preciousness of the heart itself, by which the soul becomes a precious jewel through the Spirit of God. 
See, what's precious about you is not how good you are. What's precious about you is not what you can do. What's precious about you is you. When Jesus bought you and brings forth a new beauty inside you, which the Bible calls holiness. If you look at holiness as good behavior, you're looking at holiness in yourself, not holiness in Christ. But if you look at holiness in Christ, it's something that the Spirit does. It takes jerky people, and a new beautiful humanity starts to come out of them as they start practicing love and patience and kindness for other jerks, including themselves. Part three, the welcome of holiness. Um, This is the way most people look at it. Holiness is over here. And even the Bible says this way. Part of the definition of holiness is that it is separate. God is separate from the world because he is holy and without sin. The world is rife with sin. Think about it this way. If you want to be clean, you're not going to walk into a sewer. The Lord is pure and beautiful and clean. In the sense, he is separate from the sewer. But you know what? Holiness came into the sewer. That's what the gospel teaches. And he came into the sewer to walk with those who were in the sewer. And that he would die for us. And so people always think holiness is totally separated out from the sewer of the sinfulness. They're separated things. But what the Bible says is holiness came into the sewer to welcome those who are of the sewer. The sick, the hurting, the guilty, the ashamed, the dying. He came to welcome them to himself so that his spirit, his humanity, and his heart can be placed into the sick and the hurting and the dying. And that's what the power of the cross is. That's the gospel. In many ways, this message, all I feel like I'm just telling you is the gospel. That's really all I'm doing. Every single Sunday, I'm just trying to get across to you the gospel. But today, really, at the most basic sense, I'm saying, please walk in. Know that you're a sinner, but that's not your identity anymore. Holiness welcomes you. And when people come into the church and meet real holiness incarnate, Jesus Christ, who has washed up, and then begin to really believe, my gosh, can it be true? that God would embrace and forgive and wash and welcome someone like me? Can that be true? If you really begin to believe that, what it begins to say is, let's let other people like me come and meet this Jesus. Let's welcome them. Because you know how they'll see the welcome? Some will get it because the pastor will preach it. And then they'll see it. They'll see it through the Word, and the Holy Spirit will get to help them see it. Right? But some of them, you know how they'll first begin to see it? From you and me when we welcome them.
when you wrap yourselves in Christ, not in yourself, but in Him, and you'll begin to believe, really, <laughs> I'm, a sin- I'm a sinner. I was wallowing in the sewer, but Jesus welcomed me. And so you can laugh and say, that's a big joke, isn't it? But it's the greatest joke ever. And you can welcome other people like you. That's to build up the church. Ultimately, end at the end of the day, to edify, to build up the church, is to welcome other broken, sinful, weak people like you and me. And as we welcome them, they'll begin to maybe believe that God, through Jesus Christ, will welcome them to himself. Close with the story. I have this picture on my office. I have it right there on my bulletin board. And it's a picture I received. I actually took a little notes on the back of this thing. Of uh, In November 2007, at my church where Grace and I went in Philadelphia, and uh, I was going, they, had, they were having adult ed classes, and they had this series of adult, I don't even remember what the subject of this adult ed class, but it was a special day. We had a guest teacher that day, and the guest teacher was a woman named Heidi Rist. And Heidi Rist was a missionary in the slums of Dehradun, which I don't even know exactly where that is, which is in India. And so, I don't know if you've ever been to India or seen India, or maybe some of you have watched the movie Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, you'll see that there's extreme wealth and like unbelievable poverty right next to each other. It's not like America where we, we like to put poor people somewhere else, but like they have it right next to each other. And um, that, in that movie, they called those guys slumdogs. Right? And what Heidi, Heidi was a, a woman in her late 20s, I believe. She was a Caucasian-American woman in her late 20s. And for the past several years, she had been living in the slums of Dehradun in India, loving the slum dogs of India. And she had some pictures of some of the young children that she loved and shared the gospel with. And she had taken pictures And she had asked some of the people in this class that day, would you pray for some of them? And and usually I don't say yes to those kinds of things. I'm thinking, okay, that's yet another one of those things. I've got a lot of other things to do. But the the Spirit gripped my heart that day and said, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray for those boys. I'll pray for whoever she gives me. And she gave me this picture. And I keep it on my bulletin wall. And when I walk, I don't do it every day. I'm not like, you know, super disciplined about this. I don't go, I'm going I'm to pray for these slum dogs. That's what the movie called them. Although that's, they shouldn't be called slum dogs. They should be called by their names, and their names are Dilip and Munjit. Right? And I, once every now and then, I look at that picture, and I'll sit for a moment, and I'll pray for Dilip. That's this one right here. And I'll pass this picture around. You can look at it. And Munjit. And the reason I'm telling you this story is this is what Heidi does. And how does a person end up doing anything so wild as that? Heidi would say that 
that even the Christians in India don't do this. And when she would go hang out with these slum children, the Christians, Indian Christians, would say, what are you doing? They thought it was, they thought she was crazy. What are you doing? Because it was so inconceivable that proper Christians who go to a decent church would go hang out in these, in these gross, disgusting, abandoned slums and meet these kids, a lot of them who lie and steal and cheat, and they beg and they pull your heartstrings so that they can get money out of you. <laughs> because these are disreputable kids. And so like, what are you doing? And she knows they're like this. She knows they're jerks, as I put it. And yet she said the Lord loves them. <laughs> and she went to welcome them to the sinner's dinner party. That's what Heidi does. She's crazy. <laughs> Is she? Is she really so crazy? Here's how Heidi ended up doing, becoming a Christian. Heidi went off to college. I think she had gone to church at least sometimes when she was a kid. But when she went off to college, she forgot all about that Jesus stuff. She had a bunch of friends. She was like, like one of you and, you, and, you and me. She went off to college. She was off on that track toward American dream to make money, to be smart, to be pretty. She hung out with the cool crowd. She did the partying. She had a boyfriend, and she was living that life. And I think at the time, but she started getting more and more sad. And I think she was living with her boyfriend, living out of wedlock, within a certain decadence, and she started realizing there's something deeply missing in my life. And I think it's probably God. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's God. So one day, when she was feeling really low in her relationship and really low about her life, she saw this church. She had no idea if it was a good church. She was afraid to go in a church because she felt like she was living a really sinful life. She walked into this church. This church apparently had a balcony. And not a lot of people sat in the balcony, but she did because she was ashamed. She would go to the balcony and sit in the little, little corner. And then they would sing the songs. And then the pastor would say the gospel every single week. And when she would hear this gospel, she would just cry. She would sit in the balcony and she would just weep. To hear that Jesus, her Lord, loved her. And I imagine that church is not like our church, unlike our church. On the outside, it looks so decent with decent people, with well-educated, successful people. And yet she heard the gospel. And the Lord changed her. And somewhere along the line, then she broke up their boyfriend and she started pursuing a new life. And somewhere along the line, she went on a short-term mission trip to India. And that led to saying, I'm going to do this. And now, I pray for these kids. Right? Philippe is probably 17 now. And Bunjit is 
I think he's 16. And I wonder how they turned out. Right? I hope they didn't end up in prostitution. I hope they didn't end up being drug dealers. I hope they didn't end up just getting abused and raped and who knows what other horrible things happened in those slums. Right? It's one of the things she says, please pray for their protection. Right? And that if you look at this, this boy looks kind of joyful, but this boy, you just see sadness. I always, when I think of Munjit, I just think sadness. Right? And I don't know, one of these days I pray that on the streets of the New Jerusalem, I will meet these boys. <laughs> and I'll pray for them. Right? And I hope people like these guys will walk into our church. That Heidi Riss will walk into our church, and Dilip and Munjits will walk into our church, and we will welcome them. You will welcome one another just as Jesus has welcomed you. Even though you know you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. But such were some of you. No longer. You have been washed. And that's the church. And that's what it means to build up the church. So that people can meet the Jesus who would welcome these kind of kids. And the Heidi Riss. The Heidi Riss of San Jose. The Vietnamese version of her. (laughs) That's the way I I imagine it to be. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you for Heidi. Thank you for that young man who went to Ray Stedman's church one day. Thank you for Ray Stedman a faithful pastor who would lead his church. And thank you for Peninsula Bible Church and their faithfulness. How many people they have reached for Jesus. We pray, Lord, that our church would be like such a church where people will come. I'm not nearly as good a pastor as Ray Stedman, but, but your word is as powerful as ever. And you are as glorious a Lord as ever. And what you did at Heidi's church and what you did at Ray Stedman's church, what you are doing through Heidi in the slums of Derridoon, you would do in the spiritual slums of San Jose. <laughs> we, we see things with our eyes. We look at ourselves through our eyes and we're like, I'm a sinner, but we don't look at ourselves through the gospel. We don't know how to look at San Jose through the gospel. We don't know how to look at this church through the lens of the gospel. We look at it through man-made performance and man-made righteousness. What we can do, but not what you can do. What you have done for us and what you will do in us, that is what we long for, Lord. Lord, And I pray today, as people hear this message, that all the seeds that have been sown through this this series would call forth the people to say, I want to be part of a jerky church where holiness comes out. Because people will come into this gathering and meet the real Jesus. 
May there be many more Heidi Riss. And we would not look at the city and all its riches and all its success. Instead, we would see its poverty. We would see its hurt. We would see the depression. We would see the sadness. And we welcome those people to you, Jesus. Make this a sinner's dinner party. Make us a people that build up a sinner's dinner party and edify one another and let your church shine. I'm proud of this in your name. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord with our offerings.